You're listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So, pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Hi, my name's Steph Coombs. I'm the editor of the Central Station website and host of this podcast. For today's episode, we've got something a little bit different lined up for you. Usually a podcast is two or more people having a discussion or conducting an interview. But in today's episode, you're going to hear from just one person. One very special person, Felicity Brown. Flick would have to be one of the most well-known characters of the Kimberley, and she's a big part of our station community. In this episode, she's sharing a part of her story and some really valuable life lessons that she's learnt along the way. Today's episode is sponsored by GME. Since 1959, GME has been an Australian-owned family company and remains the only Australian manufacturer of UHF CB radios, with their products designed, engineered and manufactured in Sydney's northwest. GME's products cover a range of recreational activities from fishing to four-wheel driving and touring, in addition to catering for heavy vehicles and agriculture. GME have released a limited edition range of pink products to raise money for the McGrath Foundation to assist in their tireless efforts of funding regional breast care nurses and supporting families in communities across regional Australia. You can find out more by finding them on Facebook, Instagram or at gme.net.au. My name is Felicity, my business is Hats by Felicity and I am the milliner on the move. And speaking is not really my regular gig, I'm far more comfortable hidden away here in the studio but um, I've been thrilled to be asked if few times now to speak about my journey and I'm just going to give it a go. Today I'd love to take you on a journey, part of my own story, which involves a melanoma, the Lion King and New York Fashion Week. But this story is not just about me getting from Broome to New York Fashion Week. My story is about having a go. I grew up on a sheep property in central western New South Wales I spent a lot of my childhood in the shearing shed. My earliest friends were from the bush, country people in drought country. I grew up in the grazing district of Ralston in the central western New South Wales, where we produced sheep for fat lamb and superfine wool. When I was 15, I went away to boarding school in Sydney, and that's really the last time that I lived at home. After school, we were independent, renting apartments, going to uni, working and sadly that's when we started to experience the dreaded loss of our mates. From a very young age I learned that life is short. I lost my first friend when we were 15 years old and we were the only two girls in the district our age. This was really devastating for everyone and for me it felt like the dominoes just continued to fall from there. Car accidents, farm accidents, plane accidents, suicide. The only sense I could ever make of it was that life is precious and life is short. 
And so from a young age, I just wanted to get out there and live it. So when my friends started getting married and my fella started making murmurs, <laughs> I started making murmurs too about getting out of Dubbo and travelling around Australia. And don't get me wrong, there is nothing wrong with Dubbo. In fact, I had an awesome job with a federal member of parliament as an electorate officer. I used to spend parliament sittings in the big house in Canberra. I had a great rental house, brilliant friends, still do of course. But I knew it was a big world out there and I needed to get me some. <laughs> so as my friends were attending yet another funeral, with my swag and my bag in my unair-conditioned Subaru Brumby Ute, I drove out of Burke, New South Wales, and headed for the Queensland border. This was an extremely emotional day, a day I'll never forget. I was driving in tears. I was wondering what the hell I was doing. I'd left a great job, great house, magnificent friends. I'd driven out of my comfort zone. I was driving into the unknown, solo, with a swag bag, cowboy boots, a tin mug and a box of beer. <laughs> but as I crossed the grid into that Queensland border, I think it was James Blundell screeching from my tape deck. <laughs> An extraordinary wave of excitement rushed through me. I had the biggest smile. I knew I was on the adventure of a lifetime. And this was 1994. After spending a month or so in Queensland, working, playing, visiting old friends and making new ones, I rolled my swag and crossed another border into the Northern Territory and I arrived at Newcastle Waters Station where I inadvertently ended up working on a stock camp in the middle of the Territory Desert for the rest of the year. And then in 1995, I drove into Broome. And from the moment I found Broome, everything just fell into place like I had never experienced before. Perhaps it was my now very open attitude after driving and living in these wide open spaces but in Broome, if I needed a job for five weeks, a five-week job opportunity would just fall into my lap. I was even adopted by a Broome mum and dad who spoilt me with Sunday roasts and all the rest. I had promised my family and friends back home that I was on a trip around Australia and that I'd be back in two years. So around Australia, I continued dragging myself away from Broome and headed to work on a station in Fitzroy Crossing and then back to the Northern Territory, over to Queensland. But after five months of trying to make home in Cairns, my heart was definitely somewhere else. So I made the decision to drive right back across this big wide country and accepted a job on Mandora Station on the 80 mile beach south of Broome. And after a season there, I moved back to Broome, which is where I was supposed to be. I mean, have have you ever found a place that for some reason you just can't explain? You just have to be there. You, you have to spend more time there. For me, this place was Broome and the opportunities continued. I spent an amazing year living and working on a pearling boat in the Buccaneer Archipelago and then the next four or so years working on remote Aboriginal communities across the East and West Kimberley, establishing aged care services, otherwise known as HAC. Before the next opportunity arrived, 
this time in aquaculture. As part of an initial project startup team, we built a sea cage barramundi farm in WA and a black tiger corn farm in the Northern Territory. I was living the dream, developing amazing projects and working between two states or a state and a territory that I had grown to love. And I loved my exciting life and already was over a decade late getting home to New South Wales. It's just so important to love what you do and to do what you love, as we have been told. The man who offered me this latest opportunity, Graham Hutton, would grow to be a significant mentor for me. It is so important, I cannot stress how important to have mentors in our lives. I've had some great teachers along the way, but Graham was exceptional. He was a man of many talents. His accolades were in geology. He was from the old school and he was a very hard worker. Graham was a geologist and a prospector. He didn't profess to know anything about aquaculture, but his research told him there was money to be made and business opportunity to be had. So he handpicked us, his team, to make it happen. Graham simply taught us to have a go. He didn't care if it didn't work and he backed us all the way, but we had to have a go. We never came to him with a problem. We came with our solution to the problem. He nurtured our initiative and we grew to great heights. He provided us with confidence and a confidence that I'd actually never known before. I was making decisions that grew an ASX-listed company. I had grown professionally and personally into me and into what I was capable of. This was me. I always loved developing projects and ideas, but I never knew that I had the ability to build a business. And thanks to the direction and the encouragement of this man, I guess now I knew I could. It wasn't only me that he guided, there were others, and this is why his passing had such a great effect on so many. Graham was a statistic of male depression. He'd suffered the debilitating disease for years and we endured with him the highs and the lows. Graham took his own life. He had the most loyal group of friends from school days right there beside him, looking out for him, always there for him. And when he seemed to come out of the darkness and be what we could only describe as going great, we all let our guard down and and I guess that's when it happened. The weeks after were a, a blur for us all. The women were the first to come back to work and slowly afterwards so did the men. In hindsight, he had ensured all the key players were there to carry on. I had gone to him many months before with my intention to break away and start my own business, something he had always encouraged. But he asked me to stay for at least another six months, perhaps a year. And so I did, with the greatest respect. Graham's death was a turning point in my attitude to mental health and to suicide. I had always thought suicide to be very selfish. I was angry with those who had taken their own lives, my friends, my parents' friends, even strangers, because in my eyes they had not thought of anyone else but themselves. 
I knew Graham. We we all knew Graham, and he was not selfish. This was selfless. So, after a respectful time, I left Marine Produce Australia and registered my own businesses. Yes, plural. In 2007, I registered The Quarters, which is my accommodation business. I launched a project development business and I registered Hats by Felicity because in the background of all of this, I was quietly and unassumingly ticking along with a huge obsession in the vintage art of millinery. And now my millinery business had officially begun. So the millinery story began decades earlier. As a country girl in rural New South Wales, the country races were already the absolute highlight of the social agenda. We went to all of them and we couldn't wait to get all dolled up. But often we lived remotely and would work right up until the last minute and it was time to head out to the track. So I used to alter the girls' existing hats. Everyone kind of has a hat and my millinery journey has grown from there. When I first arrived in Broome, ladies were sending me their hats. So I decided to progress the art and I met with the Kimberley Bookshop owner, the gorgeous Marie Gamble, who sourced some millinery books for me to teach myself the basic techniques of millinery. And I later went on to study and still do study. In fact, I just finished a course last week with the Hat Academy, which is very exciting. (laughs) My feather story too it, it, it's been around forever just so slowly gaining flight from childhood my obsession with birds to other more accidental growth spurts one particular feather story comes from 1994 at Newcastle Waters station in the Northern Territory I had dropped into the station to visit friends Anna and Brownie who had just been I'd just been their chief bridesmaid a few months earlier in Dubbo It was an exciting time at Newcastle Waters with the stock camps heading out, including an additional stock camp, the TB testing camp, because tuberculosis had been found and a 100% muster to test every beast was subsequently required. The mix-matched, quickly put-together team were the last to head out because the cook didn't get off the bus. The manager's wife asked me if I would consider heading out with the team that afternoon until the cook arrived. So I too rolled my swag and jumped into the ute, heading out into the Territory Desert to muster 3.2 million acres. This is one of those forks in the road moments that I have come to absolutely love in life because when I look back, that cook was never supposed to get off that bus. In November, towards the end of the season, the ball man visited the camp one day and he brought with him the message that I was invited to the big house for a ladies Melbourne Cup luncheon with the rest of the ladies from the station and nearby township of Elliot. And there was a hat competition, <laughs> but what on earth was I going to wear? I set about collecting feathers and leaves and nuts, all sorts of bits and bobs from around the camp to jazz up my uh, well-worn Akubra hat. The boys were quite inquisitive, but not at all sensitive. They just laughed at my efforts. But um, Reggie, who was our Aboriginal stockman, he rode up on his horse one afternoon and from inside his shirt, he pulled out a handful of stunning feathers for me and I was so excited. I soaked them in water and rinsed and dried them in the sun and by the campfire at night, I preened them to their original beauty with my now somewhat calloused fingers. (laughs) But boys being boys... 
they all started to bring home their own collection of feathers. At the end of the day, I used to have this lovely little collection of feathers left for me on the table. Uh, and a few years later, R.M. Williams published a story on me, which I was beside myself excited about. And since then, people from around Australia have been sending me feathers. So, I mean, people naturally collect feathers. It's No one really knew what to do with them. People would pick a, grab a, see a feather, pick it up, put it on the dashboard of the car, put it in your hat perhaps, or on the kitchen windowsill. But even now, the Broome Post Office staff get excited for me. They, they ring me up and they say, oh, there's a parcel. It looks as light as a feather. <laughs> I absolutely adore creating with these feathers. I love giving the feather another flight. And my feather point of difference was getting noticed in the millinery world. People's love for the feather was becoming more vocal. And when in the past, only a select few feathers had made the appearance on hats, I was bringing them all out of the woods. I'm now possibly one of very few, if not the only, Australian milliner legally permitted by the state government to take feathers for the purpose of millinery and sale. The millinery, as you all know, is my greatest passion. It's it's not just about my own desire to create, it's about making people feel great. I watch both men and women change they change their demeanour as they don a hat. Their shoulders move back, their heads tilt, and the great smiles grow. There is nothing better than hearing a woman talk about how she felt wearing her piece, how the many compliments made her feel. I take such pride in creating my pieces to be as light as a feather so you can be yourself. And it's not until you pass your reflection or look in a mirror or someone stops you with a compliment that you remember you are wearing a hat. For me, it's it's about so much more than the simple beauty or magnificence of the creation. It's what the creation does for you. Of course, that makes me feel great too, so it's a win-win all around. But I guess let's move on to New York. These first few years of life in my millinery businesses were challenging, so I decided I wasn't quite ready yet and I took on a four-year contract with the Department of Agriculture and Food WA, growing my little businesses in every spare moment in between. Life was both exciting and chaotic, but of course everyone knows I've always been known to create my own chaos. Then in 2013 on Valentine's Day, I had my first surgery to remove a skin cancer, which was a suspected melanoma from my arm. This was followed pretty much immediately by a second surgery soon after confirmation of the melanoma and its heightened stage. The lesion was caught early, but the surgery had affected my muscle and arm movement and I couldn't really do the simple things in life like brush my teeth, put the key in the door or open my wine and I couldn't create my hats. But I knew how lucky I was and I didn't want to complain. We women never complain, do we? I didn't want to get depressed about the fact that the second surgery had really taken its toll and half my arm. So I came up with the idea to plan an overseas trip because we all know half the fun is in the planning, right? So this was my therapy. It was February and I was planning the adventure to take place in September because September is when New York Fashion Week is on. 
I had always wanted to go to New York and of course being a designer fashion week was a definite so I found the dates for 2013 New York fashion week and I started planning around these dates at that stage I didn't know that you had to be invited to New York fashion week and by the time that had become apparent I was already organized to go so my thought was I'll be in amongst all the excitement and the energy of it all. I'd planned to go to San Francisco first, Nashville, Texas, LA. There was lots to look forward to. And September came around in no time. And the next thing I knew, the holiday of a lifetime was happening. What melanoma? In fact, I used to call it Melly the Noma to take away the fear. New York, well, how great is this place? My first few nights were booked in the middle of it all in Times Square. And it was here that my next fork in the road, my serendipitous event, would appear. I was standing in the hotel concierge line for some help in booking a Broadway show. My thought was The Lion King, but there were so many shows on offer. In front of me, the line, in the line, there was a group of extremely rude Americans who were making it difficult for the two lovely ladies at the desk. So rude, in fact, that my initial thought was to remove myself so they didn't think I was with them. I thought I'd go to the coffee shop until they left, but then I changed my mind. And here enters my next fork in the road. I decided to stay and be the next customer these ladies had to deal with, and that I would channel my best Julia Morris humour to make them laugh and forget about the people before. It was so bad, incidentally, that security was called to take them away. The professionalism of these women was amazing. Straight away, they were composed and they welcomed me to the desk. How can we help? I want to see a show, I said. And I think I want to see The Lion King, but I'm wondering, is that more for kids? And is there something else I should see instead? And they asked me if it was my first time to New York City. And I said, yes. And they said, well, then yes, you should see The Lion King. Great, I said, just book me in. And as soon as I said that, the lady I was speaking with, Melba, she just broke into tears. Why can't everyone be that easy? She cried and we three chatted. I tried to be funny, but I pretty well failed with that. But anyway, but there was no one behind me. So I chose to stay and chat and do my best to make them happy again. And they asked me if if I wanted to do anything else and if they could help me with anything else. And that's when I said, you know what I really want to do? (laughs) I really want to go to, to a fashion week show. And they said that everyone wants to do that and they'd tried everything but they can never get tickets. And I said I knew that and I was just being cheeky. Which is, and that's at the the moment when Melba said to me, Colette, the other lady, Colette's going to the Fashion Week show. Colette was on the phone. But when she got off the phone, I said to her, I hear you're going to a Fashion Week show. I was, she said, but I have to work. So of course you're resigning, I said. And then she said, you know what? I'm going to write and or I'm going to write to them and I'm just going to see if I can get my ticket transferred to you. And she did so there and then. She asked me for my business card so she could call me with the response. Of course, I'm beside myself at this stage. And then Colette said to me looking at the card, she said, "Hats by Felicity, are you a designer?" And I said, "Yes, proudly." And she said, "Well, you must go to Fashion Week." And I said, "Of course I must." But um uh, you know, how how was this all possible? And she said, I'm not going to ask them. I'm going to tell them that you're taking my ticket. And so I kind of, I, I just stared at the ladies. I was in complete dismay. I was like, what just happened? What does this mean? And they said, 
you're going to fashion week. And I said, I've got nothing to wear. They said, you're in New York City. Go shopping. And sent me promptly to Bloomingdale's, where I shop like a pretty woman. (laughs) And I was off to New York Fashion Week. I guess, you know, my intention to be kind and to make them happy had in turn repaid me with a ticket to New York Fashion Week. Actually, tickets to two shows, in fact. So after the amazing shows, I was like still reveling in heightened excitement. I blogged about it all to tell everyone back home. And I guess I may have focused on the physique of the male model who wore practically nothing and came out first on the runway. I wrote like a demon. I just couldn't stop. And uh, I, I, you couldn't wipe the grin off this girl's face for, for weeks. I, I departed New York having had the best time ever and having been to two New York Fashion Week shows. I mean, who was Melly the Noma anyway? Nashville. Nashville was next. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you like cowboy hats and boots and country music, this is the place. Uh, and beer, of course. It was while I was in Nashville that the designer wrote to me who had the New York Fashion Week show thanking me for the kind words in my blog especially about the male model that I had mentioned. And he said that he too was happy with my comments, mental notes, everything you write on the web gets out there. He said to me, your blog led me to your product and I don't think you should be writing about New York Fashion Week. I think you should be showcasing on the runway. And I kind of said, oh, thanks. (laughs) What a fabulous compliment to receive from a New York Fashion Week designer. And off I went to Texas, because that's what you do. I was off to Texas. So um, I was in Fort Worth when the next email arrived, and this time it was from the producer of New York Fashion Week, Gregory Moore, and a message, just a few words, that simply said, love, love, love your hats, want you on the runway, New York Fashion Week 2014, call me. I still remember... The grand Texan room I was in at the time, I was in shock. And then, of course, I questioned, was it a hoax? So I forwarded the email to my great friend and comedian, Julia Morris, who I was trying to channel earlier, who's lived in a bigger world than me, who responded almost immediately, having Googled him. And she said, he's legit. She said, honey, it's your time to shine. And so in September 2014, I became the first Australian milliner to showcase on the runway of New York Fashion Week. And I showcased again in 2015 and again in 2016. And producer Gregory Moore has invited me back every year since. I've left it at three, given the privilege of showcasing came at rather large cost But even though I'm still to this day paying down the loans for those three shows, I would not change a thing for the world. What an experience, what an opportunity, what exposure and what a great chapter of my yarn. The melanoma, it's just part of my story. And even though at the time you wonder why something happens to you, if there was no melanoma, would I have travelled to New York? And if I hadn't inquired about the Lion King, would I have ever made it to New York Fashion Week? And if I hadn't blogged about my experience, would designers and the producer of New York Fashion Week ever have found me and offered me the opportunity to show it in New York Fashion Week? 
you just have to dream and you just you have to dream big and you just have to go for it because if you are open to it anything can happen it doesn't matter who you are or where your journey started or where you are at my millinery journey started by living remotely and no one believed that my passion would be able to grow from the bush but to me that just made me want to make it happen even more that's half the fun for me the goalposts must always move there's no finish line in life we are the privileged ones here for the opportunity to live our lives and we owe it to those who are not here to absolutely live our lives to our full ability and potential my little motto is to dream the goal to live the journey and love the life to have faith in yourself and to take action albeit you know with many little small steps to get there but action and just don't put the pressure on yourself that you must reach the finish line i i just never let go of the dream i'm always plugging away and i know that i'm going to get there my story is about being positive it's about feeling comfortable knowing that things work out when they should and they go in another direction if they shouldn't. It's about being kind and, of course, it's about having a go. By no means has my journey been easy. In fact, it's been filled with challenges and we all know that the challenges will continue. But I've made a point, a conscious effort to learn from these bumps in the road and to grow and be proud of who I am. I love my life and I am happy. And for me, the definition of success is being happy and being on your journey. My advice to everyone, regardless of age or where you are in life, if you've got a little idea, a little or big dream, just have a go. You won't fail. You might be led in a different direction, but you'll never fail. Just have a go. Or in the words of my mentor, Graham Hutton, just have a bloody go. If you'd like to keep up with Flick, you can find her on Facebook and Instagram at Hats by Felicity. Her website is hatsbyfelicity.com.au and her blog is millineronthemove.com. Of course, if you are in Broome, come down to the courthouse markets on the weekend and you can find her there in person and see some of her amazing creations. And just a warning, you may end up walking away with one of them for yourself. There are currently over 1,100 compelling true stories on centralstation.net.au which will open your eyes to what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. There are yarns from station managers, ringers, cooks, govies, pilots, vets and more, told with humour, self-deprecation and pride in a job well done. There are tales of working in stock camps, mustering cattle and how education and socialisation works in some of the most remote parts of Australia. There's stories about the wonder of living in an amazing landscape but also the perils that come with flood, fire and drought. And there's stories about the inherent danger of living in isolation, including times when the flying doctor has come to the rescue. These stories give a vivid, honest picture of outback life, the good, the bad and the dusty.